0: Why is it we humans get romanced by complexity when the answers can be found at a simple and practical level? This is the Simply Practically Human podcast, where the human manager, Mark Labasque, features experts who have a track record in humanising workplaces, using simplicity and practicality as their go-to approach. It's all about getting back to what it is to be human and watch workplaces thrive rather than just survive. Hey there, it's Mark LeBusk here, and I'm delighted today to bring you Crystal Kadaki, the founder of Invarti Consulting, who is going to share her expertise around a whole lot of different things, particularly around millennials, around the whole idea of the industrial revolution and moving into the digital age and what that's meaning for workplaces. And also her three really simple and practical tips that human beings, both managers and just humans in organizations can use to build self-awareness, because Crystal, as she talks through this uh, episode, talks a lot about the need for introspection, for self-awareness, and how they will help organizations, regardless of whether they're small or large, start to be able to be more successful in a new digital age. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did recording it. Hi there, Crystal.
1: Hey, how's it going, Mark? Happy to be here.
0: Yeah, great to have you on board. I'm so happy that we connected. I looked at some of your work online. I think I read one of your articles around the whole idea of millennials and particularly a little bit more around tapping into this notion of how we need to move from the industrial age to the digital age. And I think my listeners today are going to get some amazing insights from you. But before we start on that, I'd love you to share a little bit about the backstory of Crystal so the listeners can get a good understanding of sort of where you've come from.
1: When you think about my backstory, I think the best things to highlight about it is how much of a mishmash it really is. My parents are from India. They immigrated to the U.S. I was brought up in Austin, Texas. So you can imagine, you know, Indian people being in cowboy country with a lot of interesting clashes there growing up. My background, as I started growing up, I really loved science and math. I also really love teaching people, but I didn't really know that yet. And you know how that often is, is when you're growing up, you go through kind of the things that you think are going to make a good career, but they're not necessarily a good life for you. And I think that's really a lot about my backstory is I majored in chemical engineering. I started out working for a Fortune 500 for seven years. I was an engineer, spent a lot of time on the manufacturing floor. But I was always the person who was really talking about the teams and, you know, something would be wrong on the manufacturing line. And Mark, I'd be there and I'd say, but how are we doing as a team getting through this situation here? And so I started realizing that, wow, I might have a little bit of a different passion going on in in the back of my mind.
0: That's interesting. Um, Thanks for sharing that. Just what do you think others were looking at? You were looking at team. What was the rest of the business looking at?
1: Yeah, the way the business worked is, especially engineers, especially on the manufacturing floor, the questions they were asking was, why? Why, 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 why? They were always going through their seven whys of why the failure had occurred on the line. So they were very logically breaking down the issue, applying our general scientific method to figure out what's going on. And I was thinking about, but how are we doing as a team? Because what I would notice is as we were asking those whys, each person would have their own point of view. And how we were engaging in those different points of views often was the difference between us moving forward and us still being stuck on this problem. So I just started realizing wow, I'm thinking kind of totally differently about this than the engineers I'm working with. And it was always well received because. As an engineer, I could communicate it in a way like, hey, there's a problem behind the problem right now. Let me show that to you, and people would get really excited. And so it was, you know, it's, it's nice being an engineer and still having that as my background because I can really, again, this mishmash between left brain and right brain. It's just very much a bridge. So and eventually I ended up being a training manager. I was training engineers in manufacturing and supply chain. And then eventually I left. And I left because at at some point I realized I wanted to make an impact on the world that I couldn't quite do in the organization. And at the same time, my physical vital self was being depleted in the organization. I was having some serious health issues at the time. And I I just needed to be able to manage my own lifestyle. I knew I'm a brilliant person. I knew that I could help people. I knew I wanted to, but You know, I was in meetings every day from 8.30 to 4.30, back to back. So there was a vitality that was being sucked out of me. You know, all the the strategic, creative thought that I now am bringing to the world through my business, through my thought leadership, there was no space for that in my corporate life. And the company I work for is brilliant. I love that company. I can't say they gave me amazing opportunities. It wasn't really their fault. When I looked at other companies, nothing was going to be better. It was really these fundamental assumptions of the industrial age that are still just so in our present that was stopping me from being able to do the kind of work I'm best at. And so I left and I really wanted to change that. I really, really wanted to change that.
0: Let's um, thank you. Let's pick up on that point around the pull and the strong pull of the industrial age. And, and, you know, we're a long way a long way forward now from when the industrial age kicked off. But it appears to me that we are still so romanced by the principles and, and the whole sort of the, the framework of how that industrial age worked. In a time now where I say it's more human, what do you think it is Is it, that's keeping people so caught up or seduced by the industrial age? What What's happening there?
1: Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing that keeps us stuck in the orga- in, in the industrial age is a lack of organizational self awareness. So when you think about culture, and you think about let's 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 not think about the large organization because that's almost too big sometimes for us to wrap our minds around. If you just think about yourself as a person, how much do you really know about what's holding you back from your past? We all have an origin story, right? And that origin story shows up in very insidious ways in our present. Sometimes we date the wrong person over and over and over again until, you know, slowly and surely we realize, wow, there's something going on here that I'm repeating. Why am I repeating this? Well, organizations, now if you add, if you multiply that effect by often 100,000 people, right? Imagine 100,000 employee multinational global corporation, those origins have are certainly insidiously showing up in the present. And why is that? Because what got it's, it's what got you here. So as an organization, there's something that's, that's made you successful up to this point. And those patterns are so firmly ingrained, we think it's going to lead to our success tomorrow. And in the past, this thinking was good and well. It was fine. Before digital technology came along, before we entered a new age, what got you here could keep on getting you there. But in the last 25 years, so much has fundamentally shifted, not just from how we live our lives, but how we purchase things, right? How our economy is fundamentally working. And so what got us here certainly isn't going to get us there. And what's where we're at is a place where we have the opportunity to bring in so much more humanity into the workplace than when the industrial age started. I mean, when the industrial age started, there were things, it was in fact a reward, a positive evolution, right? Imagine before the industrial age, you might've had peasants and lords and serfs, people working like 16 hours a day just to live on the land that, they, that somebody else owns. Right. The industrial age was a new, amazing thing. And when we got to an eight hour work day, that was a huge fight and a huge win. That was a positive from, you know, working 12 hours a day and child labor. Yeah. <laughs> so if you look at if you look at it now and people are like, oh, eight hours a day, I don't know if I can do that. From an industrial age standpoint, you're thinking, What? What? That was a huge win. What are you talking about? (laughs) But the point is that we're no longer working in a manufacturing environment. Many of us are doing cognitive, highly strategic work, and that same environment doesn't create productivity, much less happiness or engagement.
0: Absolutely. Look, you made some really great points there. The one I want to focus on in particular now is self-awareness. I think this is, from what I'm seeing in the work I'm doing, and, and I talk about... Before we can lead organisation or lead team, we must lead self. And the training that I remember doing over my time in corporate, which I really enjoyed, seemed to be mostly aimed at leading team or leading within organisation, but very little time spent on leading or understanding self and and understanding my origin story. Talk to the listeners a bit more about that space. To modernise learning, where should the focus be around the training that people are receiving in the workplace, do you think? More around self.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, when we think about intelligence, for me, I've had a new emerging idea of what intelligence really is. You know, I mean, I think there's book smarts and there's street smarts, but for me, I've started noticing in myself, when I think someone is really brilliant, it's because they're further along in the self-awareness journey than I am. So to me, I see the spectrum of people who they are not aware of their triggers. They just react to a situation. It doesn't matter what level they are in the organization, but if they haven't done any self-work, they just react and they react. And then I see people who are further along, they understand that they're reacting and they try to pause. And you know, when you meet these leaders, they've got a little bit more of a presence. Uh, Oftentimes it's couched as executive presence. They have this pause. And then they speak. So you know they're thinking a little bit before speaking. And then you keep going on that journey and you really start to see not just the pause, but the right question of somebody else. Because that person in that moment, they've understood themselves enough to ask a powerful question of someone else. So this level of intelligence to me around self-awareness is really huge. So when I think about learning and training in the past again industrial age thinking we were just thinking about training on the most routine subjects right the things you want to make routine across an organization well where we're moving with the digital age is how do you unlock people to be able to do complex work so the things we need to promote in organization might be simple values but the outputs of those simple values is complex work because we have incredibly complex challenges facing us. So the training we're doing, the learning an organization needs to have is not so much about the subject matter expert saying, let me tell you what I know. It's about someone saying, let me guide you in discovering what you know and doing that in a variety of verticals. If you're talking about inclusion, for example, You don't want someone telling you how to be inclusive. That doesn't make any sense. Your particular brand of inclusion is going to look different. We all have our own ways of making somebody feel like they belong with one another. What you need is discovery on how is it that you personally, how is it that I, Crystal Kadakia, help somebody feel like they belong with me? What am I doing to do that? Now, that's a different kind of learning that we've not really tapped into. So this is some of the stuff that I'm working on right now is is as I think about this industrial age to digital age, it's how are we pushing people to learn differently, moving from that technical routine stuff, which by the way, all the robots are going to do, to really unlocking our potential, which comes from questions and and self-discovery. And if I'm thinking about inclusion, same thing. I'm trying to promote that self-awareness because, you know, hey, we can lead organizations all day long, but... That looks like a to-do list. That's a task list. Leading yourself is really what creates the seeds for change that then actually make the organizational work happen.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting few points you made there around, I guess, the to-do list. I'm, I'm doing some work at the moment, What I call the innovation challenge, which is getting people to create a to-be list before <laughs> they have a to-do list. So how are you going to choose to be I look at that because that's in the essence of self-awareness. I'm going to become really aware of how I choose to behave or how I choose to turn up before I do something, which is still important. And it's important I do things and I'm productive. But if I know myself better, I can stop for a moment, like you said before, that pause that you see someone do, and then they go, before I do something, I'm going to make a choice now on how I'm going to be. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. Interestingly, one of the things that i pick up in your work and that i've loved looking at is your thoughts around millennials and also just humans at any any age group i've got to get your thoughts on self-awareness across the generations can you teach an old dog new tricks can you make old people more self-aware can the younger people who are wanting to move really quickly can they become self-aware what what's the research or what have you found out in that space
1: mm. Wow, what a powerful question. Yeah, I would love to say, so I think when it comes to self-awareness, there's two things that really strike me on what brings somebody self-awareness. Think about these two things that bring people self-awareness. One of them is the number of experiences they throw themselves into or they are thrown into yeah. just by the, the sheer moving forward of life. Okay, so people who try to stay at the edge, just the edge of their comfort zone, and try to maintain that edge for years, they're always going to be getting more self-awareness and growing quicker than other people. It doesn't matter which generation you are, or what age you are. I find that a lot of people say, I, I hold a lot of wisdom. And I've always thought that to be a really interesting comment. And the underlying question is, how did you get to be the way you are, Crystal? And I just think about the number of challenging experiences that have happened in my life. And the second part of it is the fact that I reflected on those experiences. So it's one thing to just have the experiences and then move on to the next experience. It's another thing to actually introspect on that and always be thinking about, well, what did I get out of that? Not in a selfish way, but in a, what did I learn about myself and what I want kind of way. I was thinking recently about the difference between selfishness and authenticity. And the way I started thinking of it is selfishness is when you expect other people to give you what you need. But authenticity is when you constantly strive to give yourself what you need. Yeah. And so that entails knowing what you need. So when I think about millennials, I think about boomers, you know, I think a lot of times millennials or Gen Z, they don't take the time to reflect on their experience. They're in this. Um, I call it a yellow philosophy. You only live once, and mm-hmm. if you only live once, you go around chasing all these different experiences. And I often find millennials coming up to me and asking, like, "I think I just did that because I was afraid of missing out." And then I'm like, "But did you enjoy the experience? Like, did you actually sit in the journey of that experience?" A, a lot of times, I get this question when millennials are thinking about leaving their organization, and they'll say. You know, I think I'm supposed to leave every three years because now there's so much statistics built up, right? Of course, the millennials have also read these same articles. They're supposed to be job hoppers. Yeah. So now they're thinking, I'm supposed to leave. And then I'll ask them, Well, are you happy where you are? Yeah, I really like my team. I like the work I'm doing. Well, then, hey, man, you're a okay. Just stay where you are. Don't leave because someone else gives you a presumption you're supposed to leave. Yeah. And then on the flip side, I talk to these, you know, older folks who, their brand of wisdom is, well, I've lived all these years, and I've got all these experiences. And again, that lack of introspection of, do you know how firmly fixed you are? Are you matching that to the reality you're actually living in? Or are you really of that mindset of, well, this is what I know. And what I know is true.
2: Yeah.
1: So I think regardless of which generation I, I look at, I think it's How much time do you spend introspectively looking at your life? Because I think that's what happened to me at my corporate job is being in meetings from 8.30 to 4.30, I had no time to reflect on what it is I was actually bringing to those meetings. I would try to do that work after work, and I I started getting burned out very quickly. So oftentimes when I'm working with leaders on their digital habits, their relationship with digital technology... I'm spending a lot of time asking them to reflect on the amount of time they're spending on doing versus being. And we're lucky enough that new tools are being rolled out to help people with this. So on Microsoft, for example, they have a whole, they call it like the Fitbit for work. It's called My Analytics, And it actually, the AI in it is looking at and reporting out how much time do you spend every week having focused, no interruption time. And it automatically logs, you know, are you clicking over to your inbox during this window? And it'll just make a suggestion like, hey, you know, I noticed you only got one hour distraction free this week. Did you know that? And then it's up to you to decide, well, that's data. What do I want to do with it? So I think things like that are very important when it comes to self-awareness. And digital can help you just as much as it can hurt you, right? It's your choice.
0: Absolutely. Some phenomenal takeouts there for the listeners. I want to focus in on some simple and practical things that you could share with the listeners who are in management roles or, you know, maybe being managed by younger people or older people or whatever it might be, focusing in on introspection. I think this is a big piece. Self-awareness is the key to me. And until you know self, it's very hard to know others and to help inspire and manage other, other human beings. If there were three simple and practical tools that you could share with the listeners around how do you give human beings space to be introspective in the workplace, what would you tell them?
1: Yeah, the first thing I would tell people is really watch your complaining and your blaming tactics. You know, early on, I was doing a lot of work on demystifying millennials. And a lot of that was around just stop complaining, because you've got to realize that everyone has their own reality that they're dealing with. I like to think of it as you have your crap, They have their crap. And then there's the crap you're starting to create together.
0: That's a lot of crap.
1: It's all crap at the end of the day. Okay. You're all trying to navigate through this crap. So anytime you're frustrated, what is the point of complaining about someone else? Because you can't necessarily control that. You're never going to be able to, no matter how much you try to throw the blame or the shade, look back at yourself. What is it that you can control and really understand what is it that's triggering you in that moment? What is it really? In the age-old millennial versus boomer thing, you know, if a millennial's asking for feedback and you're thinking, why are they asking me for feedback again? That's the third time this week. Think about why that bothers you. What's your relationship with feedback? And, you know, I've asked this question to boomers and a lot of times they'll tell me, well, I grew up thinking no news is good news. So I don't think of feedback in any other way. And then I start asking them, well, do you know how millennials, that millennial might be thinking of feedback? They might be thinking of it as a growing path or a growing tool. Hey, what's right or wrong about that? There's no right or wrong. So if you stop complaining, you stop looking at things as right versus wrong, but really just realizing that, wow, everything is always being shaped in this moment. And you're just reacting to some trigger understand that trigger for yourself. And then the other thing I would say is really figure out what it takes to manage your energy. Energy is one of the most underlooked at topics. In many ways, we talk around it a lot. And there's all this stuff about mindfulness and all that. But really, it's just as simple as, hey, do you know the work you're doing? And if your energy is actually ready for that work you're doing? And if it's not ready, do what you need to do before returning to that task or returning to that relationship. If you're going into a meeting pissed off and stressed out, guess what? You're going to walk out of that meeting complaining and blaming. Yeah. You know, figure out what's going on with your energy and do what you need to do to manage it.
0: Yeah, I like that. And this, again, coming back to that being versus doing again, you've got a choice to make when you walk into that meeting. How am I going to choose to turn up? If I want to turn up pissed, I'm going to be pissed. If I think this meeting is going to be a waste of time. It's going to be a waste just of time. don't go. It would yes. be
1: better for you just not to go. And that's the thing with digital technologies, you know, it's a tool. It's how we choose to use it that makes a difference. And a lot of times it's throwing all these emails at us, this information at us, these chat messages are coming in, you got these meetings. You know what? The digital technology is not going to go away. If you want it to stop, you have to make the choice to get it to stop. You have to take the space, you have to turn your phone upside down, or you have to walk away from your computer and just, you know, leave it like these laptop. I had a laptop free weekend this weekend and you know what? I needed it. Hmm. And that was great. But I had to make the choice to do that because the tech's not going to do it for you. Nobody's going to do it for you. No one's going to grab your laptop or your phone for
0: you. So I think uh, what I heard there was watch out for blaming tactics, stop complaining, get a good sense of what's triggering you as you move into whatever mindset it's gonna be, good, bad, or indifferent. And then that other one is managing, managing your energy. Simplicity and complexity. Uh, I, I have a view that we seem again to be romanced by the fire of complexity. We will go to warm our hands to complexity a lot of times when we should start with the simplicity. What is it about human beings that, that want them to, to be so caught up in the complexity of work? What, what, what's happening, do you think?
1: Wow. Yeah, I think sometimes when we get stuck in the complexity of work, a lot of times it's, I think it it has a number of reasons. I think a lot of times people feel valued by working on complexity, by making things more complex than they need to be. You're adding your own point of view to it, even when it's not necessary, but it makes you feel valued. But it doesn't move. It doesn't move you forward. It doesn't move the team forward. And I think that's where we kind of have a different perception of what we think is going to move a team forward and what actually moves the team forward. Yeah. And oftentimes what we think is going to move the team forward is really you trying to shine, right? And there's a dissonance between you trying to shine and come off as a rock star versus what's actually needed to move forward. Yeah. So I think we tend to look for complexity because I think it gives us something to do. There is a quote from Parker Palmer I was just reading and and he said, we come into life with mystery and we leave life in mystery. Mm. And it really made me think, how much of life do we spend trying to unravel and explain the mystery instead of just letting the mystery be and moving with it? Yeah, I love that. And I think sometimes that's what we need in organizations is. You know what? It is a complex world. You are in a company of a hundred thousand people or fifty thousand people or ten thousand people. That's a whole lot of people. But again, the simplicity is in lead yourself. You know, if you focus on your connection to another person, hey, that's simple. You know how you connect to someone else. Just focus on that. Yeah. You don't need to solve the communication challenge for every single person in your organization. And frankly, you can't. Each of those people can only find that by leading themselves and you can just guide them and frame it as, Hey, what would the possibility be if we were all in communication or in connection? And we chose our own way of doing that, but whatever makes you feel connected, why don't you do that? You know, think about what makes you feel connected and go do that. Yeah. I think sometimes we look for complexity because we're afraid that if we didn't pretend that there's this complexity, we'd run out of things to do. (laughs) hey, we ain't going to run out of things to do. We got global challenges facing us. We don't need to invent more complexity in this
0: world. I think that's such an important point that we think we're going to run out of things to do. And there's so much more to do. There's 100,000 people in an organization. Imagine if each of those individuals became more self-aware. There's plenty to do to become more self-aware. So I think that's an amazing point. Let me finish off with this where do the listeners find out more about you because I think after what they've just heard now they're going to be scrambling onto the social and they're going to want to know where to find you so where's the best place to get more information
1: The best way to connect with me is through LinkedIn. I encourage anyone to connect with me who hears this and just let me know that you know you heard me on Mark's podcast. I respond to each person individually who who connects with me. This is LinkedIn is You know, the way I manage my complexity is I choose a social channel and then I'm intimate on it. And so for me, LinkedIn is that channel. I also recommend for anyone who is stuck in the generational space of, you know, I really don't know how to deal with generations. I would really recommend picking up the millennial myth. It's on Amazon and it goes through five of the biggest complaints people tend to have about the younger generation, that they're lazy, they're entitled that they've got issues with hierarchy, they need constant praise, and so on. And it really demystifies it, again, really bringing self-awareness back to you and your point of view, regardless of which generation you are. So really recommend that. And then I'm coming out with some more books next year on modernizing learning and also with digital habits, really looking at how you choose your relationship with digital technology.
0: And you also mentioned a bit of a study tour coming up as well in the future. Where, where are you going to be heading to?
1: Yeah, so I'm planning on spending about three months in New York. Really interested in how people in the Big Apple are relating with one another in this digital age. You know, in Atlanta we have our Southern charm, so we have our different ways of going about it. And then I'm planning on spending some time in Singapore, Kuala Lumpur, Australia, about two months there. And again, for me, the questions are all around. How are we choosing to engage with digital technology? And I have a trip to India and South Africa as well planned. I'm really interested in globally, you know, how are we doing this? Because again, being of both Western and Eastern descent, you know, growing up here, being of an Eastern background, I just see so much opportunity for learning from across global regions. And, you know, I could present a predominantly Western view, but man, wouldn't it be so much richer if we had that global perspective in it?
0: absolutely thank you very much sounds like you're going to be very very busy in the next 12 months or so <laughs> crystal thank you very much for being a guest on my podcast i think that the listeners well i know the listeners will get an amazing amount out of this so thank you very much
1: thank you mark
0: hey it's mark here again thanks for listening to the simply practically human podcast if you liked it why not rate it five stars and if you loved it why not subscribe and share it with your friends Next episode, we're going to be listening to an expert in the area of managing human beings, particularly when you are looking at putting new staff into existing businesses. Grant Beggs will be joining me. But until then, keep it simple, keep it practical, and keep it human. Bye for now.